Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Oh, you guys are beautiful. Even the ones in the balcony that I can't see. Um, happy Easter, everybody. Happy Easter morning. I, it, what an amazing time when we get to remember and celebrate. Not that, not that you know, I know Easter's every day, but, but there's something about right now, the focus of the world is on Jesus. Whether they realize it or not, the, the focus of the world is on Jesus because deep inside the heart of every man is a, is a, a, a God-placed need and desire for a king. And his name is Jesus. Well, that's why it's so important that we know him and that we represent him wherever we go because there's a world out there that is dying that's never heard the gospel. Like, I know that's hard for us to believe, but there are people in this world that do not know the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that he came and became everything that we were supposed to be from the beginning, before sin entered the world, and he lived a perfect life so that he could exchange that life for our lives. So that we could be redeemed back to the Father. There's a world out there that does not know that they have a God that loves them. He didn't send his son so that he could love them. He sent his son because he loved them. He wasn't in heaven disgusted with you. He was in heaven broken over what sin had done to his creation that he loved. From the beginning, he made a way to redeem humanity back to himself. He would stop at nothing to pursue you, to pursue me, to pursue us. Like, it's one thing when it's for God so loved the world. That's amazing. But it's another thing when that love for the world becomes a love for me. And I realized that it was for love for me that he came. That of all the reasons in the world that he thought it was worth it to come and become sin so that he could be the the spotless lamb that took away the sin of the world. That of all the reasons that came in front of him, that one of those was me, that he saw me in that moment before he formed me in my mother's womb, he knew me. I'm not an accident, I'm not happenstance, I'm not just because two people fell in love. I'm here because I was created with intention by a God who loves me and created me for relationship with him for eternity. Not just, not just one day, but now. So that I could know him and be known by him and I could walk in relationship with him and experience the love of God poured out now into my life. So that I could be transformed and become the very thing that's changing me. So that I can become the love of God made manifest in the earth. Oh, oh, oh maybe I'll have you open your Bibles. I, I will have you open your Bibles. I, I'm so wound up right now. I'll be lucky to, 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 to get through it. Um, but remember when Jesus came, he's talking to his disciples and he says, well, he says this in, in John chapter 19, verse 28. When he's hanging on the cross, he says, says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, realized that all things had been accomplished. In this moment, as he's hanging on the cross, he realizes there's nothing left for me to do. I have accomplished every single thing that I came to accomplish. Like, I'm not, not, not one day it'll be finished. No, he said, it is finished. It says, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. 
A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine up to a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. When he said, it is finished, he's meaning everything that I came for. The plan of God that was placed into motion before the foundation of the earth has been completely finished. And so what was finished was Jesus accomplishing what God sent him for. And he told us what he came for. He said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. That which was lost. Something was lost and Jesus came not only to to seek it out, but to save it, to restore it. That word sozo there means to restore It means to redeem. It means to bring back to what it was meant to be from the beginning. It means to save and heal and deliver. Something was lost and Jesus came to earth to find it and to save it. And if we want to know what was lost, we can look at what happened when sin entered the earth. So if you you have your Bibles, you can find it in in, uh, Genesis chapter 1. When God says this, if you want to know why you're alive, look at God's intention when he created humanity. If you want to know your purpose, if you want to know your reason for being alive, just look at what God had in mind when he created the first human beings. Because that was his intention. He created them for what he had planned for them. And so it says this. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Chapter 20, verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. I thank you that your spirit is here. God, I ask that you would anoint the words that I speak, God, that, that, that you would do what only you can do and that you would make your way into the heart and mind of men and that you would change them, that you would transform them, that you would reveal our need for a savior, that you would reveal your goodness and your kindness and that you would bring us to that place of giving our lives to King Jesus. I thank you for that. I thank you that it's sharp, that it's alive, that it divides, that it separates what we thought and what you know. Would you give us ears to hear and a a mind to understand and a heart to receive your word, God, that the seed of your word would find its way into the soil of our hearts and it would begin to bear fruit, the fruit that remains. In Jesus' name, amen. So God makes man and he makes him in his image and he realizes that man has no way to reproduce himself because he created man in his image and God is love and love is always looking to reproduce. And so he, he looks around for a way that man can reproduce the image of God that was given to him. You were created, man was created in the image and in the likeness of God. And so there's no way for man to reproduce himself. There's no suitable helpmate that could be found for him. So he reaches into what was already there, pulls Eve out of Adam, and now there is a way for love to reproduce itself. And he says to them, he says, I have some things for you to do. Listen, this is before sin entered the earth. He gave Adam very specific things to do. He was to tend the garden. He was to rule over things. He was to have dominion. He he was created for purpose. It wasn't just to aimlessly wander the earth and hope that someday he would do what God created him for. 
were never meant to just wander around and hope that you stumble into your purpose in life. You were created with intention just like the first man was. Every single one of us is created with that same intention of God. And so he tells Adam, one thing I want you to do. I've got tasks. I've got things for you to manage. You've got responsibility. But of the two of you, so that the human race could be preserved and prolonged because when God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, there was no such thing as death because death entered through sin. What was he saying? You have my image and bear my image. Now I want you to go and multiply my image throughout the earth and fill the earth with the image of God. Fill the earth with the knowledge of God. Fill the earth with the representation of who I am in human form, filling and covering the earth. It's, it, God's heart has never stopped being for that. I mean, the prophets would say that. They would say that the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's always been his intention from the beginning. And so he tells Adam and Eve, he says, listen, everything that I have created is for you. It's all for you. All the trees and all the plants, the animals, everything that I've created, everything that I have called good, is all for you. And you can have anything that you want. Oh, there's one thing that you can't do. The tree, the, the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from its fruit. For the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And along comes Satan with the same lie that he's come to so many of us with saying, there's something more that you need to do to really become and to really have what God wants for you. But every one of us at some point has believed that lie, that there's something that I have to do. That, that, that's amazing that God did 99.9% .9 of it, but that 0.1%, I, I think I better do that because, you know, there might be something that God's withholding from me that is good. And because they don't yet know his nature and character the way that they could, then Eve, especially Eve, who's separated from her husband and is separated from God in that moment, the enemy comes to attack. That's why I'm telling you, listen, so many people have gotten out of the habit of gathering together with a body of believers. I promise you, it's not good. Church is not your salvation and it is not your Christianity, but being together with a body of believers that you are known and known by, that you're accountable to, and that will walk with you, and that know you to the point, if you show up and you don't look like you're doing okay, they see it. Because you can walk by people in the store that say, hey, how are you doing? And you can say good, and that person has no idea what it looks like for you to be doing good. But when you're known, when you have friendship, when you have accountability, when you have a responsibility to each other, that's a whole different thing. It's no coincidence that the enemy thinks that a time of isolation is the best time to attack people. You can see it so clearly because he comes to Eve while she's alone, separated from God and isolated from man. And he comes to her and says, And she says, oh, no, 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 we can, we can eat all the fruit. It's just a tree in the middle of the garden. Of that tree, we can't touch or eat. 
For the day that we do, we will surely die. And then he looked at her and said, no, 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 God. God is trying to keep you from something. If you would just eat of that fruit, you would become like him. The problem is, is that there was nothing they could do to become more like God. They were already created in his image and in his likeness. So if there was anything he was keeping from them, it wasn't because he's a God who wants to keep us from something good. It's because he's a God that realizes on the other side of that decision is a lot of pain and death and suffering. And so if he's called us not to eat of something, it's not because he's trying to keep us something from us that's good. It's because he is good and he's trying to keep us from something that's evil. And so Eve says, no, 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 we're not even supposed to touch it. Well, you know, we've talked about that before. That God never said they couldn't touch the fruit. He just said, don't eat the fruit. That's the problem. When we, you know, maybe Adam, when he was conveying to Eve, said, hey, of the tree in the middle of the garden, we can't eat it or touch it because in the day that we do, we will surely die. It's not a bad thing to have a rule in place that says don't touch the fruit because if you never touch the fruit, you'll probably never eat the fruit. The problem is, is when we put a rule in place and then make that what God said, and now all of a sudden what we have put into place as a good thing becomes the word of God. And once that's proven wrong, then everything else is in question. That's what legalism does. It comes along with a good idea and makes it God. And so, all that's left now is for Satan to prove her that what God said is a lie. And all he has to do now is prove that what she thought God said isn't true. And then the rest is easy. So I can imagine going over and touching it. Look, Eve. I don't know how he did it. Maybe he threw it up in his tail. Maybe he just curled around it. Maybe he rested his little chin. It can't mean you're constantly sinning and that you can never stand before him and say that I stand before him blameless, holy, upright, and beyond reproach because the word of God says that's how Jesus is able to present you to the Father for one. But for two, John starts the next chapter by saying, my little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. Not, I write these things to you because you're going to constantly sin and get it wrong. That was who you were before you were born again. You were sin waiting to happen. The good news about once you become born again is that you can still miss it, but you have to choose it every single time at the expense of who you've become. That means you could choose not to every single time at the expense of who you were. And so Eve gives to her, her husband, and he eats of it, and coincidentally, just then, God comes walking in the garden. It doesn't say God ran away shrieking into heaven, horrified, looking down at earth and saying, I can't believe they did that. Oh my gosh, those sinful things. I'm going to send fire right now to kill them all. Why? Their sin didn't change God. It changed them. 
God was still the same loving God that had the same desire for the same thing that he had from the beginning, which was relationship with man. Listen, he said, Adam, I created you to be with me and to do the things that I've created you to do. His heart never changed, and he comes walking in the garden, but for the first time, rather than running to him, man runs from him and hides behind a tree. And makes fig leaves real quick because all of a sudden the eyes of their understanding are open. And now they're self-conscious for the first time ever. Before this happened, there was no consciousness of self. They walked around completely unashamed. There was no shame. There was no guilt. There was no fear. There was none of that. They were just living open before the Lord and open before each other. Completely transparent. Completely open and saying, there's nothing that I need to hide. I actually like who God created me to be. When I look down and see myself, I don't see something wrong. I see the beauty of God reproduced in a human being. That's all they know. And now all of a sudden, because they sinned and the eyes of their understanding, and now they know something they were never meant to know. They know that there is a such thing as evil because up until this point, everything that God has created has been good. And so they run and they hide and it says that, that man fashioned fig leaves to cover themselves up because even Adam and Eve knew they needed something to protect them from God and they needed something to protect them from each other. They needed something to cover up in front of him because they couldn't stand before him anymore. And they actually needed something to cover up in front of each other because the intimacy that they had with him resulted in intimacy with one another. And now all of a sudden there's no intimacy with the Father. There's hiddenness, there's shame, and there's guilt, which resulted in a lack of intimacy and a loss of intimacy between man and woman. And God comes walking in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? The fact that he's asking that question means that man had a different response this time than every other time that he walked into the garden. I believe personally that Adam probably when he heard the sound of the Lord coming, ran to him. But this time he runs from him and he hides behind a tree from the one who spoke and the tree came into existence. You know, we laugh at the foolishness of Adam. We've done even sillier things trying to hide something in our lives. I promise you. I know at least one person in this room that has done some really silly things trying to hide from the one who created him. And so there they are huddled behind a tree, hiding from God, hiding from each other, riddled with guilt, riddled with shame. And God says, Adam, where are you? It's not because God is playing hide and seek and he's getting frustrated and he can't find Adam. If God ever asks where you are, it's not because he's confused. It's because he realizes that you're confused. And he's trying to point something out to you. He wants you to actually answer the question, where am I? Adam, where are you? It wasn't where are you at in the garden. It wasn't where are you at on the earth. It was, Adam, where are you right now? And the answer would be hiding from you. I'm hiding from you. I'm covered up in shame, guilt, condemnation. There's a voice speaking now that never had a voice before. And so Adam comes walking out, probably dragging Eve with him. If I'm going, you're going too. You gave me the fruit. Because up until that point, all Adam's known is to love Eve. 
Now all of a sudden he loves himself. And he points the finger at the one he was called to lay his life down for. So here they come, adjusting their fig leaves. And I can just imagine the Lord looking and thinking, oh my goodness, this is, this is unbelievable. I spoke those leaves into existence and they think they can hide something from me behind them. But God also realized that if fig leaves were good enough, Adam wouldn't have been hiding. If something that we could do was good enough to stand before a holy God and feel like we belonged there, then we wouldn't be hiding behind fig leaves. We would be standing out in the open running to greet him because what we had done would be good enough for us to come before a holy God. But even Adam knew that I might have made this cover up. I might have settled for this. I might have a form of religion. I may go to church on Sunday. I may have a Jesus fish on my car. I may have scripture hanging in my home. I may play worship music. But the truth of the matter is, is if it's not a relationship with him paid for by the blood of Jesus, it's a fig leaf that we've made. And it may hide us from others, but it won't hide us from him. And we we know that enough and we have the integrity at least enough to know that we can't stand before him unashamed in something that we have made with our own hands and God realizes it too and so he says first what is this thing you've done have you eaten the fruit we all know the answer right it's the woman you gave me you ask a little kid Two of them in a room. One of them's got marker all over their face, all over the couch, all over the room. The other one's sitting over there playing on their iPad or doing whatever they're doing, right? And you walk in and you say, who drew all over the couch? The first thing, the one with the marker in his hand, on his face, and all over him says is, they did it. <laughs> Why? Because sin taught us to live at the expense of others rather than actually loving, which lays its life down for others. Sin taught me that I was the most important thing in the earth. I became self-conscious. I became self-righteous, and I became self-preserving. And so rather than being alive for you, I see you as a way to preserve my own life at your expense. And if it's not her fault, ultimately, God, it's your fault, because you gave her to me. We had a good thing going here. You seem to think it was necessary I'll tell you right now, all right, look, Lord, here's the deal. I'm just going to say this. I didn't eat the fruit before she came. Come on, we're laughing, but every one of us has done these things. We've made people our reason for missing the mark rather than understanding that we chose it. We've blamed people because it's a whole lot easier to point the finger than it is to actually open myself up to the Lord and allow his hand to touch my heart. When you point a finger, you know what you're doing? You're keeping people at a distance. You're saying, this is as close as you can come to me. Or you might think that you're just pointing, but look at the posture you're taking. It says, don't come any closer. Why? Because every time there's sin, it creates a barrier and a breakdown in relationship. First of all, with the Lord. Not on his end. He's the Lord. He's never changed. But we have enmity now in our minds. And so he looks at Adam and Eve and he says, oh... 
You've eaten of the fruit which I told you not to eat. And he tells them the consequences. He says, listen, now you're going to have to work and earn by the sweat of your brow. And to the woman, there's going to be pain in childbirth. And I'm going to put enmity between you and the serpent forever. That's why women hate snakes, naturally. It's also, I believe, why a lot of times women are more sensitive to the spirit of things that's going on. And so... And he looks at the serpent, and he says, your punishment is you're going to go on the, your belly the rest of your day, and you're going to eat dust. What's he saying? He's saying, you're going to choke on the very thing that I made man out of. Oh, wow. Every time you crawl around in the dust, it's a reminder to you that my breath and what you're choking on created the thing that's going to bring forth the Savior. He says, there's one coming. The seed of a woman, and he's going, you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. (laughs) And every time the serpent is crawling around in the dust, he's crawling around in the very thing that the breath of God created man out of. And he knows that one day, dust is going to crush my head. And so, the Lord does one more thing before he leaves them. He sacrifices, and he takes the skin of the sacrifice, and he covers them. And he initiates a a covenant with them. And because God realized, even the most beautiful fig leaves will never, ever, ever give them the confidence to come before me the way I created them to be before me. They're always going to know that their righteousness was created by their own hands. But if I create a covering, if I shed blood, and if I make a covering, and they know that what covers their sin was something that I created, then they'll have the confidence to come before me boldly and stand before me. And once again, I'll be able to walk with man and talk with man and have the intimate relationship that I created him for. And so everything happens just as God said it would, and Jesus comes onto the scene. He's the seed of a woman. Spirit of God, depositing God's life inside of a woman, not the seed of a man. Why? Because every man was born into sin after that, because of the sin of Adam. That sin of Adam reproduced itself, and it said the sins of the fathers will be passed down from generation to generation. So every man that was born after that, that was the seed of a man, contained that seed of sin within him. Every man was born into Adam. But Jesus, the Christ, the second Adam, comes, and he's the seed of a woman with God being the father. And so he's born sinless so that he could live sinless. See, if he's born a man, then he's born into sin. But if he's born of the Father, then all of a sudden he comes out and he's not under the curse. And that allows him to become the curse. Because anyone who is under the curse can't become the curse. And so he's born sinless and spotless. And he's tempted in every way. But you know, the biggest temptation for Jesus was for him to doubt what God had said about him. Jesus is baptized and he comes up out of the water and and, and God says from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
The next voice he hears is the voice of the enemy calling into question the very thing that God said about him. If you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus says, truly is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. What's he saying? I don't know who I am by the things that I do. I know who I am by the words that he spoke. I don't have to perform to prove who I am. I have to believe. And because I believe what he said, I know who I am. And you can't call me into question. Listen, I promise you there's been a lot of people trying to turn stones to bread to prove something because they don't believe what God has said about them. You can't turn enough stones into bread to make up for the fact that you don't believe what God has said about you. So he comes and lives the perfect life. And then he offers himself up. And it says, he became sin that knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because up until we become born again, the best we have are fig leaves and even the most beautiful fig leaves won't cover us to stand before a holy God on that day. And we'll be hiding behind the tree. So Jesus hung upon the tree so that we could come out of hiding and into the light so we could stop living at each other's expense and start living for others so that we could stop running and hiding from God and walk in fellowship with him in the cool of the day and live the life that he created us to live from the beginning, everything redeemed. Jesus said, behold, all things are made new. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I came not to just take away your sin for a year. I came to remove your sin forever so that you could be restored back to what you were meant to be from the beginning before sin entered the earth. So Jesus is nailed to a cross. It says if the rulers of this world knew what they were doing, they never would have nailed him to the cross. They never would have crucified him. They never would have done it. And they think they're being cruel by driving nails through their hands and shoving a crown of thorns onto his head so that his head is bleeding and his hands are bleeding. But once again, the Passover lamb has been slain and there's blood on the door because Jesus said, I am the door. And as the blood pours down, once again, there's blood on the sides of the door and there's blood over the head of the door. And all who would enter through that door would be saved. And on our best day, our righteousness was as filthy rags. So Jesus came. I want you to just picture this just for a second. I don't care if, if you've been in church your whole life. I don't care if this is your first time ever hearing the gospel. But Jesus came and because he's fully God and fully man, he can do things that we can't imagine. But he took every one of our robes of, right, of, of filthy righteousness. Every one of them. All the things that covered your life, all the things that marked you, all the things that identified you, all the reasons that there was accusation made against you, all the mistakes you made and all the willful sin that you committed, every bit of that made your righteousness as filthy rags. On your best day, it was still filth. It just was fixed up filth. And for each and every one of us, he took our filthy robe and put it on. 
took our sin. He took our shame. He took our guilt. He became the thing that was killing us. He became it. Listen, he became sin. He didn't come and just act sinful. He became sin. So that we could not just act righteous. So that we could not just have good looking family pictures. So that we could not just fool people into thinking that we're something that we're not. So that we could just hope to one day make it to eternity. No, he came and became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He said, I'll take their heart of stone and then that day I'll give them a new heart. A heart of flesh and I'll write my law upon their heart and their heart will be to know me. Come on, everything that was destroyed in the fall, Jesus came to redeem. Starting with relationship with the Father and then affecting every single area of our lives so that we never again hide from each other or even worse, live at the expense of another. And they're nailing him to the cross and it says that that when they nailed him to the cross, the record that was hostile against us, the law and its demands, its decrees, its reason that you could be accused. Anytime the enemy wanted to accuse you, all he had to do was dig up the law, dig up every single time that you had transgressed and he could come and he could make accusation. It says that was nailed to the cross with Christ. Come on, think about this. If you've never thought about this or if you have just been going through the motions I want you to hear this as though you've never heard it before. That he took every single thing that you deserved. The abuse, the punishment, the pain, the shame, the guilt, the names, the accusation. And he carried it all with him. And then they hung him. And it says, when in the process of doing that, they think they're being cruel. That instead of tying him, they're nailing nails through his hands and his feet. Instead of tying him up, they think they're being cruel. Why? They're trying to get him just once to think for himself at the expense of others. Think about it. The first thing he hears from the enemy is, if you are the son of God, do this. The last thing he hears from the enemy is he's hanging on the cross. Men shouting, the enemy speaking through them. If you are the son of God cast yourself down. Why? This whole life was set up, everything that they did to get him to not believe what the Father said about him. Because if he loses sight of who God's called him to be and why he sent him, he loses his way. And thinking for himself just for a moment would have meant he wasn't the spotless lamb anymore. But he never did. Not once. Not even once. Even though some of the very people that were doing these things to him are the very people that he was hanging on the cross and giving his life for. We say things like, well, if I'd have known they were going to do that, I never would have. Jesus knew and he did anyways. And so I just want you to picture, just for a second, maybe just, just close your eyes so you're not distracted or, or just don't pay attention to the person next to you. Because honestly, sometimes people care more about what the person next to them is thinking than what the God who sees everything is, knows. And there was a record that was hostile against me and against you. It was the law. It was its demands. It was the do's and the don'ts and all the things that, that every day I would try to do and wouldn't do and try not to do and would do and all the reasons that I was missing it and everything that was wrong and all the reasons that I deserved, I deserved to be separated from God in hell for eternity. 
that record that was hostile against me, that any time the enemy wanted to make accusation, all he had to do was just pull the record up and he could go down the list and accuse me. And there was nothing I could say for myself because my fig leaf wouldn't protect me from it, no matter what it was. And as they nailed him to the cross, as they nailed that record that was hostile with him. Now, I've said this before, but I really want us to think about this, that that there was a, a record, whether we could see it or not, in the spirit it was there, the, the record that was hostile against us, the accusation, the law, everything that we couldn't keep, the way to live a holy life, all the things that God would have demanded of us if we were capable ourselves, all the reasons that you could be accused were nailed with him. And as the nails came through the backside of his hand and into the, the decree, And finally into the tree. As the blood began to flow, I just picture it just saturating that paper. As more blood flows, it just begins to soak the paper. And then eventually, it begins to just drip to the ground. And drop by drop by precious drop, the blood of Jesus is taking away the record that was hostile against us until there's nothing left but his blood. And if the enemy would come to try to make accusation, when he grabbed his old familiar scroll, where there once was a list of things that I had done wrong, that I couldn't do, there was now the blood of Jesus speaking a better word. And then they buried him in the ground. And if he just dies to be my savior, that's amazing because that means my sins can be forgiven and one day I could be united with him for eternity. But he didn't stay in the ground. He was resurrected after three days and he's alive and he lives to be my Lord. He died and shed his blood to be my savior so that I could be forgiven. But he lives forever to make intercession on my behalf and to be my savior, to be my Lord. And every one of us has had it. I just picture it this way, and I will close with this. I know we're we're running a little bit over, but it's okay. I picture that, that lifeless body just like my lifeless body, even though I was walking around. I was dead. I might have looked alive, but I was dead inside. And that, that lifeless body of Jesus laying there in the tomb, and all of a sudden, The Spirit of God, which resurrected him from the dead, came into that tomb. And all of a sudden, a heart began to beat. And a man began to stand up. And hell began to shake. And the heavens began to roar. And I don't think anyone had to touch the stone. I think that same Jesus whose robe pulsed by touching him just stood up and the stone went because nothing can stand before him. And even stones can't hold him. And all of a sudden he walks out fully alive, fully God, fully man. With scars in his hands. 
And that moment has happened for every one of us who's born again when that truth of God's word pierced our heart and we understood, I need a Savior. And the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead came and dwelt inside of us and gave us new life and transformed us from dead to life, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And not just so that one day we could go to heaven, but so that His grace could come upon us and transform us into the image of love which we were created to be from the beginning. The garden being restored. It's no wonder that when Jesus walks out, she thinks he's a gardener. Why? The first Adam was told to work the garden. So Jesus, the second Adam, gets mistaken for a gardener. The first woman to touch Jesus, the first human being to touch Jesus when he was born was Mary, a pure virgin who'd never been touched by a man. The first person to touch Jesus when he's born again is a woman named Mary who he had cast seven demons out of, who was a prostitute. And he, she touches him. He says, don't cling to me. I still have to go to the Father. What's he saying? Saying, listen, it doesn't matter if you've never been touched before or you've been touched a million times before. Once I have my way with you, you are just as pure to me as someone who's never been touched. Come on, it doesn't matter if you lived a good life or if you lived the worst life in this room. When Jesus touches you, it's as if it never happened because he is the God who removes our sin and remembers it no more. He said that. That's his promise to us. Not that I'll just forgive your sin and bring it up every now and then to remind you of what a horrible person you are so that you stay thankful. No, he said, I, the Lord their God, will forgive their sin and remember it no more. I'll remove it from them as far as the east is from the west. How far away is that? It's as far away as it can get and every second farther. Never to be brought up again. All because the blood of Jesus. All because he's the resurrected king. I'm just going to ask right now. Like no, I don't know, nothing emotion. Well, I mean, maybe you're feeling emotion. That's amazing. You should feel emotion when you think about what Jesus did. But, but not because it's, a, it's a, 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 what's expected of me. But I just want to never preach the gospel without giving people an opportunity to respond. If you've never, ever surrendered your life. I'm not talking about just pray to prayer to one day go to heaven so that I don't go to hell when I die. As amazing as that is, I'm talking about so that you could be brought back into union with God and restored to your created value. To be able to stand before him boldly and know that you belong because the blood of Jesus has made a way and cleansed you of all unrighteousness. That the filthy robe that you used to wear that was at your best so filthy and hideous and at your worst not even worth mentioning. He exchanged that and he took it on so that you could take on the robe of righteousness and stand before God unashamed and stand before others unashamed. Not because I'm perfect in my own but because I've been perfected with Christ because he died and I died, how much more then will we be resurrected to newness of life? Come on, if you need to do that right now, listen, it's not a prayer, then go back to life the way it was. Following Jesus is a lifelong journey, but it begins with a step that says, I need forgiveness, I've sinned. It's repentance, it's turning from what was, it's turning from everything that I, that I thought was so important. I was living for myself, everything was, I was the most important thing. I would live at others' expense, I would, I would do anything that I could to get whatever I wanted. And if things didn't go the way that I wanted them to, or I did something wrong, I blamed somebody else, or maybe even blame God. And all of a sudden, I have a new reason for living, a new motive behind my life. I'm no longer alive for me. I'm alive for Christ. And the life I live, it's not me. It's Christ that lives in me. Because his spirit comes and takes up residence in my body. And his grace transforms me into the image of love. And now, once again, we can be fruitful and multiply. And not multiply sinful men. We can multiply the image of God. Because when people see us, they see the Father. That was his intention from the beginning. 
that everywhere we went, the kingdom of heaven would be there. So if you need to do that today, right where you are, just stand up real quick and we're going to pray. I promise you it would be the most amazing thing you've ever done. Come on, is there anybody else that needs to do that? Come on. Like, we're going to pray. Come on, don't, like, why would you not? Why would you not want to give your life to Jesus? All he's asking you to do is to give up what you were never meant for from the beginning. The shame, the guilt, the condemnation, the not being able to sleep at night. All the things that would would constantly torment you. You can give those up and in a moment exchange them for the righteousness of Jesus. You can lay your head on your pillow at night with a clean conscience and know, not that I'm perfect and never do anything wrong, but that I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and now new life has taken up residence inside of me and it's no longer I who lives, but Christ that lives in me and his spirit has taken up residence and I've moved from death into life, out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of life. Is there anybody else that needs to do that before we move on? Come on, I'm telling you. Yeah, thank you very much. Come on, is there anybody else? Please don't let this opportunity pass you. I promise you it's the most amazing decision you'll ever make in your life. Listen, I keep saying this lately. I'm telling you, someone needs to hear this. Don't worry about the person next to you thinks right now if you were to stand because guess what? They're not going to stand next to you when you stand before him. I don't say that to terrify you. I say that to encourage you that you can stand not in their righteousness and their relationship, but in his righteousness and your relationship with him that is yours by the blood of Jesus. Is there anybody else? Thank you guys so much for being bold. Is there anybody else that needs to do that? No? Okay. Awesome. Church, let's be the church if you see someone standing around you. Come on, prayer team, look around. Come on. Find someone standing. And it's a, it's a simple prayer. And then listen, what the next step is that we need to get you baptized so that you can be lowered into death with Christ and raised into newness of life and filled with his spirit. But I'm telling you, the, the, the Apostle Paul said it was as simple as this. He said, with a heart, a man believes, and with his mouth, he confesses unto salvation. All this is is you saying, wow, I see something I've never seen before. I know a truth I've never known before. I, 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 there, I, I, I see it now. I see that I've been living in my own righteousness. I've been missing it. I've been missing the mark and I've been living for myself. What a waste of a life when I was created for a relationship with a holy God. That's it. It's it's, it's repenting and saying I'm turning away from sin. I'm turning away from all those things that I was doing. I'm giving that up so that I can actually become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So that I can be transformed from glory to glory by the spirit of God into the image of Jesus. Every single thing that you've ever done, gone. In an instant, all things pass away and everything is made new. So for every person that's standing right now, all you have to do is open your mouth and confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. That you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and that you need a savior. And ask Jesus, Jesus, would you come and be my Savior and be my Lord? I surrender my life to you. It's not just a, it's, it, listen, it's not just pray a prayer, then go back to life. It's surrendering my life to a new king. His name is Jesus. A new Lord. His name is Jesus. And now I wake up in the morning. I'm no longer alive for me. I'm dead to me. I'm alive to Christ. Dead to sin. Alive to Christ. No longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. That means I have a new master and it's righteousness. And every day I wake up. And I just go after him and I follow him. And I trust that if I follow him, he'll make me. Just like he said to the first disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. As I follow Jesus, I'm trusting that he's going to make me into what he created me to be from the beginning when he formed me in my mother's womb. So Father, for every person standing right now, I thank you for your spirit coming. 
and for new life. I thank you for forgiveness. I thank you that the blood of Jesus washes away and cleanses them of all unrighteousness. Not just a little unrighteousness, not just most unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus cleanses them of all unrighteousness, that they can stand before you blameless, upright, and beyond reproach, that the ruler of this world would come, but he has no part in them because the Spirit of God is coming and making all things new, out of darkness and into light. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. God, I thank you that for the rest of their lives, life will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.